Okay, hold on, hold on. Uh, just let me open up my actual calendar here so I can check this out. Okay, uh, folks, yeah. uh, listener um, or listener two, whoever's here, um, let me see the 20th. 20th is Sunday, so 11 p.m. 20. Okay, we can't talk about it, Paddy. I'm no, sorry. we can't. Well, we can, what we can say, <laughs> we can say that it's, um, what we can say, obviously, is that it's going to sell like hotcakes. And we can say that the demand is going to be um, very big. That's not an impression. That's not how whether it was nice or not. Um, I know I know the rules. Who's it going to sell to? Is the question I have. Like, and I know that you know the marketing rules behind this. Do you have any idea who it's going to be marketed at? Well, like I mean, we we what we know, and and it's not a secret that it's, um, you know, what, what we can't say is what we think of it and how much it'll cost and when it's arriving and all that stuff. But what we do know is that this is playing um, on the heartstrings of anyone who dreamt of having the original Volkswagen camper van, that iconic style. And this is the modern EV interpretation of that. So it's, um, it's, it's a, you know, several seats. It's shaped like a van. Um, I can't say the actual number, shaped like a van. Um, and you will be able to have it in that, obviously that iconic two-tone paint work. And um, look, you can do the maths based on what Volkswagen's current ID range is like um, to imagine that the rest of it will be reasonably similar in terms of battery sizes and the like. I don't think we're breaking any major rules there. But look, this is a vehicle that, like any other electric vehicle at the moment, you can't get any because everything is pretty much sold out. Um, this oh, one cheers. will... Yeah, this will, will be in big demand. The chips thing is another is another story. But, um, right, look, just just for 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 listeners, anyone listening, right? So we're talking. We're sorry, we're not talking about the Volkswagen. No, we're not. Buzz, we're, okay, um, because car is it? Because the may or may not come allowed, later in the year. <laughs> Paddy's not allowed to talk about it. I'm allowed to talk about it because I haven't seen the thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. But, uh, uh, can we mess around with this at all? And if I was to say, is it really good? And if you were to stay, so no, okay, no, I'm not it even. May or, it may or may not be good. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, so to anyone who's listening, okay, so do a quick Google on VWID Buzz in case you didn't see any of the imagery that was going around on, let's say, Twitter, Facebook, etc. Mm -hmm. over the last few weeks. Um, it is, it is, uh, it's a funky looking machine. I'm going. That's all I can really describe it as. Yeah, it's a people carrier, Dara. Like it's a, it's you know, it is a. People carriers have gone out, you know, the out of fashion because everyone wanted SUVs and, you know, SUV body styles with those extra seats aren't the most practical, really, because you're wedging in an extra set of seats into effectively the boot. You know that this. You the be likes careful. Of, you be careful because I'm now putting numbers of seats inside this car, so you just be careful, all right? Yeah, exactly. No, I'd be careful. But the the, the likes of uh, you know, you and I remember driving Alhambras and Sharans and Ford Galaxies and were not sexy but incredibly practical and they do their job very well I, I beg to differ right when my kids were super young the Alhambra was as far as I was concerned it was sexy because it had well certainly the ones I test drove and I, I know you, yeah, you can't yeah. get everyone with this but it had the inbuilt seats uh, the inbuilt kid seats and that to me it's like that's just gold and I remember when I got this particular test car it was like uh, oh, oh shit we had the worst Renault Grand Scenic at the time it was horrible <laughs> like honest to god man it was terrible and say it gave me the Alhambra and with the built-in child seats and I was like this is oh, that was genius best this is so awesome listen I have a question for you right and sure. once again I promise I will intro you in a second right um okay so you've been to the other side, and I want to talk to you about that. You, you've been on yep. the communication side of working with, let's say, a manufacturer yep. or with Volkswagen yep. as it was. Once again, we get to that intro in a second. What happened? Volkswagen haven't closed down, by the way. Just so. uh, Yeah, okay. Yeah, yes, um, yes. So what happens? What's worst case scenario when somebody breaks an embargo? How pissed off does the manufacturer or does the communications guy get when somebody breaks embargo and what are the ramifications if any it depends where it is and who it is effectively if it happened in little old ireland and it has happened and i've dealt with it and it can be a mistake by one of us it can be a genuine mistake by it, it's it's i haven't come across someone deliberately doing it put it that way um i have seen it in other countries 
you know, other countries, they just don't care. They, effectively, if someone does it, they can, you know, there are sorts of all sorts of penalties that can happen, but the most obvious one is that they just don't get access to that brand again either. They won't go on any of the events and probably the publication will be blacklisted by the manufacturer. So it could be quite short-sighted to have that small victory to be ahead. Um, it, it, but it happens. There's accidents. Someone is busy and, it, you know, publishes it. And it, it has happened. It has happened locally. And we've had stories taken down. Um, but we are Ireland. If it happened on Top Gear, it's a bigger deal than if it happens in a, in, in a local Irish publication. It's just the nature of the size of the country. And, uh, you know, that's that's the reality of it. But, but, but in fairness, right, if it was to happen on Top Gear, there would be, I can only assume there would be zero ramifications. Oh, pretty much. They're too big. And what you do see as well is manufacturers leaking information as well and providing it to in advance and making it look like um, that it was the publication that did that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the paparazzi standing on the side of the road taking the photos. Uh, that's how they got the information. Right, yeah, and yeah, so, I'm sorry. And, and like, there comes a point there as well where if you feel like someone is that the ship has already sailed if the story is getting out that you might just already throw it, throw caution to the wind and, and generally there is you know if some major publication leaks it then a lot of other, other journalists will just say oh sure look feck it we, we'll run it ourselves what's the worst that's going to happen you know that i've seen that as well okay so in case anyone hasn't guessed it yet folks we're talking to mr paddy common okay so paddy's got this long history in car journalism uh from uh, I often seen you on radio or heard you on radio. I often heard you on podcasts in the past. And I want to yeah. talk to you tonight about the new podcast that's coming. But Paddy was this superstar uh, motor journalist, which you were before you disappeared and went to the dark side. He went over to communications for Volkswagen Group. And you you handled, the gamekeeper. You, you, you handled us motor journalists like we were bits of meat and stuff <laughs> and the other. Well, Paddy has seen both sides of it. Now he's back as head of communications with AA Ireland. Um, and I suppose it's one of the top motoring jobs in Ireland at the moment. Big shoes to fill, Paddy. And I'm sure course, you've heard that huge. more than once when you've got mm -hmm. uh, Connor Falcon's legacy behind you. But I, like already we're seeing inroads into areas that weren't examined before, etc. So ladies and gentlemen, it's Mr. Paddy Conwood is today on Drive Talking. Um, one reminder, I will say there's a follow button on this Spotify page somewhere. Click it, okay? Share the... Uh, episode because as i said my goal i said this on wednesday or thursday's edition with michael sheridan my goal within the coming weeks is to make it in top 200 that's not asking too much top 200 podcasts in ireland let's let's just roll the dice and hope for that okay paddy you're you're you've been to the other side you've been to the other side he has been to the other side <laughs> he has seen he the has light back. the he darkness has seen the light he's seen the darkness he's come back the prodigal son has returned Tell me about the other side, right? Uh, folks, what I mean by the other side is, so as I said, Paddy has gone from journalism into the more communications and marketing side of things mm. with an actual manufacturer itself. And Paddy, uh, we're not going to go into Dieselgate, but you've worked with them through some of the more, I suppose, enduring times, some of the more um, drastic times uh, as, as, as it was at the time. But what was it like being on the other side and actually having to deal with your colleagues? Uh, now, in fairness, I'm going to be honest here. Most motor journalists are pretty much in competition with each other. But to some degree, they are colleagues in terms of your going launches together, et cetera. What was it like actually having to deal with them on a daily basis in terms of press cards, et cetera? Yeah, well, look, look first things first. I mean, it's not, it's not hugely unusual for that transition to happen you see it a lot especially in the uk where some of the really good pr guys over in the uk are are ex-motoring journalists so it's not unusual it does happen it's um because effectively i think if you want to do that job properly i think it's better if you have been a journalist because you understand what it is that you need you understand the mentality as well of the the journalist and you know that you need to in some cases be spoon-fed information um, and that you need to, you know, be able to write. I, I found anyway, I thought what made, you know, if I was any good at that job, I think it was because I could distill down information and write it in a fashion that I think would be used rather than sending out reams and reams of pages of stuff that's irrelevant. 
Um, and and I, I think that's where the skill is in that area. For me, it was, it was, you know, there was the reasons were quite simple. And Dara, you probably would relate to them. I found it incredibly difficult at, at various points to make ends meet as a motoring journalist. And I was quite a busy one. And I went from, you know, I remember the time sort of 2008, 2009, and you'll remember that difficult period in the economy and, and, and in the car sales that I lost 65% of my income as a, as a motoring journalist. And I was never well paid, but I was busy and I was a freelancer and I was, you know, I had decent enough outlets, but it just fell through the floor. And, you know, for economic reasons, I was starting to think, Jesus, can I do this full time? And I was offered a job at a very opportune time by Volkswagen Group, who hadn't had someone, you know, who obviously had moved from the old O'Flaherty MDL group to be in a, a national sales company. And they had said to me, look, we need someone for this job. It's a new role. Are you interested? And I, you know, I, I took their hand off. Uh, but it was like I, I deeply missed writing, deeply missed it because that was effectively what I was and what I identified as was a journalist. And then you're going into a different mode where, you know, as you said, your colleagues, you know, we, we would spend a lot of time together. I spent a lot of time yeah. with you and I would have spent a lot of time with, with you know, Neil Briscoe, Michael Sheridan, uh, Ferdio Dowd, God rest him, and, and, and people like that who you would see more than your family because, you know, I, I, I sort of equate it now to Dave Humphreys. Dave Humphreys is one of the very, very busy motoring journalists who is constantly traveling. I would have been the Dave Humphreys of the time, if you like, and that I would have, I would have made my living by traveling and being available to go to those events. And suddenly you're not doing that anymore. And, you know, you're having to um, be the person who answers all the questions. And it, the funniest thing, the strangest thing for me, Dara, was not, I would, as a journalist, you're trying to get as much information as possible. I wanted to give all the information out, which I couldn't do because you're trying to protect the manufacturer yeah. or you're trying to protect an embargo. Whereas your instinct is to say, look, I have all this information and I can make your story much better. And that was the, that was the hardest period for me to adjust was, was to not t- say everything that I knew about. Not, not, not just blurt it all out and fuck yep. the embargo. Uh, I got the news for you, lads. Wait till you hear. But look, I, I, I've got to ask you, right? So you, you mentioned there, no, number one, you were spot on correct in terms of uh, it's, it's difficult. Well, I found it very difficult to maintain a steady income while it, certainly while I was freelancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I got lucky once or twice in terms of actually landing full-time roles within that area where it's pure motoring and landing in a full-time role. And that was great, but... It's it, it my my history of it is it's always quite short lived. Now I did it for I think oh god I guess 14, 15 years or thereabouts, mm. and then I kind of had enough and I went into marketing and that's what I've been doing for the last four years, um and and that transition I actually found quite difficult because you you go from writing what 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 you what you hope is impartial uh, articles to all being all about the product. Did you find that part of it difficult because? you would have been one of those people at the forefront of, of giving your honest opinion on a vehicle to all of a sudden being, no, this is the only show in town, Volkswagen Group. Uh, now, sorry, I'm not trying to get you to give away any tales of, of or, or anything like that, but did you find it difficult to go from, you know, this impartial journalism to, okay, this is all about these products from this manufacturer or, or group of manufacturers? I, I think it would have been difficult for me to stand over a product that I thought was rubbish and, and I would have struggled with, you know, and I wouldn't name any brands, but I wouldn't struggle with a brand where I didn't think that the product was halfway decent, where I would have come into difficulties. And that's where it's the difference between public relations or, or communications and marketing as such is that I would write in, in a way or write in a way to a, a journalist that, isn't saying this is the glorious, amazing new Volkswagen Golf. I would stick to the facts as they are, mindful of the fact that it happened to be a bloody good car. Yeah. And people wanted it. And you're not, you know, you're not selling rubbish. You, you know, where that where that comes into difficulty then is as have you mentioned, you know, the likes of Dieselgate, where you're trying to defend what might seem the indefensible in some cases. And, you know, that's, that's where it, that's where things can become difficult to where you're kind of going, well, how do I, 
how do I deal with this? You know, and that and that, you know, Dieselgate for me was difficult, but a, a really int- really educating experience. And you know, career wise, it was the best tuition that I've ever had in terms of dealing with a situation that you don't know anything about, and we didn't know anything about. And you know, and I can say that as someone who doesn't work for Volkswagen anymore. Yeah, so we we hadn't a clue. We genuinely hadn't a clue. That, that, that's actually a great career point there, like in terms of crisis communications to begin with, mm. and then to follow that up with change management, because the change that happened in Volkswagen was was drastic after. What, one thing I will say that I definitely noticed, like, OK, so Paddy, take your folks. You're no longer with Volkswagen, so mm. I, I want the Paddy opinion on this. I think that during Dieselgate, and I, I know Skoda were involved in some way, but all of a sudden, no, not all of a sudden, Skoda were always going in the right direction. But they just got so much better directly after Dieselgate. Like, I mean, when the Skodiak came out, it was like, Jesus, have Volkswagen kind of shot themselves in the foot. They've got this fantastic beast of machine after coming out, uh, which in my view was kind of better than the VW equivalent. And even say it, when you look at the Ibiza, sure didn't the, was it the MQ0 platform that came out on an Ibiza before it came out in a Polo? All of a sudden, the other brands were getting more of a say. Or is that just me kind of, this is coincidence. That's the way it was always going to happen. No, I, I mean, I think, you know, the example you use, like firstly, the example you use about the Kodiak, um, possibly they wouldn't have assumed that the Kodiak would be perceived as well as it was. The Tiguan would be assumed to be the, you know, the kingpin of the brand, of the group. And that's always assumed to be the way. But um, it's an interesting one, you know, coming away from the group and, and the, the being embedded in it, how good Skoda has become and how good it's been left become. And that's the curious thing is that uh, I, you know, I, I was, I, when I was leaving Volkswagen Group, I decided I'd buy a car before I left and I bought a Skoda. Awesome. What'd you buy? I bought an Enyaq. Oh man. Oh, yeah, I have wow, an Enyaq. Nice, um, nice. But, but, Actually, but, I should have known that. I've seen your videos even today or over the last week on, uh, on Instagram, yeah. or not Instagram or LinkedIn or Instagram where you're talking about your journey to Cork and back and things like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's for someone who was embedded in the product and it's no disservice. Like some people prefer the ID4, some people prefer the look, but for me, I, you know, I, I knew how they were built, how they were put together, what was underneath the skin and, you know, Skodas are amazing cars and, and incredibly put together. I know you have one as well, but um, those, you know, the, the badge engineering thing suits different countries. Like, my other half's Croatian, and in Croatia, they think Skodas are really sort of down at heel, and they would be hesitant to get into a Skoda. That that is residual imagery. Whereas you know, over there, they just worship Volkswagen, the brand. You see people driving around in Mark One, Mark Two Golfs, and they're like showroom condition. It just depends on the country, and and at the end of the day, for Volkswagen Group. If you buy a Skoda or say it or, or a Volkswagen, they don't really care. But um, you will see in country, in, in depending on the country where Volkswagen will be way ahead, and you know countries like Ireland where the O'Reilly lady has done such a wonderful job, in particular in Skoda in Ireland of marketing that um, that Skoda is becoming rapidly perceived as almost an Irish brand. Uh, yeah, and the, the the ad campaigns around that are, are amazing. Genius, from, sec- yeah. from the second you step off an airplane in Dublin Airport, now I haven't been in Dublin Airport in two years, that's all yeah, you saw. No, it's gone now, yeah. Skoda Ireland. But no, I, I, I just actually want to bring up something because you're, you're talking, did you mention Cyprus there or Croatia there a second ago, yeah. right? Um, I don't know if you remember this, but a few years ago, I, I had to make a trip from Czech Republic to Poland uh, for family reasons, okay? And I gave you a call and I said, listen, and the Volkswagen Superb had literally just been launched and it had not made Ireland yet. I think it was about three or four months off Ireland. Mm. And I asked for your help in getting one to review while I was over there. Yeah. Okay. So I pick up the sky. Thank you, by the way. I was just going to, I couldn't, I I was going to say, did I say yes? Oh, you you, you completely sorted (laughs) it for me, right? Good, good. I picked up the Skoda Superb in in Czech Republic in in, uh, Prague Airport. Okay. And I get in, I meet the Skoda team or the Volkswagen Group team over in, in, in Czech and we're there chatting, whatever, and I get the car, okay? And I hit the road and it's fucking wonderful. Like, it, like to, to me, the Skoda Superb, when it came out, the, the, the new version, I, I just thought this is like, fuck, this is just so good. It, yeah, it is. I, I've, I've always respected Passat, but 
I had a look at Superb and I was like, look, space, it wins. Boot, it wins. Comfort, it wins. Bang for buck, in my opinion, it wins. That's not trying to slag off the Passat, but it is trying to complement the, the Superb, yeah. right? So anyway, I have this car, thanks to Paddy Common, and I make it across all the way to Poland and I, I do what I'm doing. I'm in a place called Lenyagora and it's great and the car is there and it's wonderful. On my way back to Czech Republic, I'm still on the Poland side of, of the border, right? So I'm flying back out of Prague to go back to Dublin. I had traffic stopping in front of me. I had people out the windows taking photos because the Superb was so new that people yeah. in Czech were like, we got to get a picture of this. This looks awesome. I had people out of cars taking photos of the car paddy. Last time that happened to me was with the yellow 5.0 uh, Ford Mustang that came out in 2016. Oh, nice. yeah. The version the press crew had with 16150 uh, written on the registration plate. <laughs> that was the last time it happened to me. But before then, it was Skoda Superb. Okay, I'm going to move on because Volkswagen's behind you now. You've moved into, into AA Ireland. Okay, and that is um, it's a big ass role. Uh, head of communications, no less. Uh, big shoes to fill. Um, yeah, huge. Well, like, huge. I mean, Conor Fogner is a legend. You know, and, and you know, it's not like he's he's gone away. He's still around and he's still doing great uh, commentary. He's you know he's he is a transport commentator still. And you know, uh, he's 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 brilliant at what he does. And yeah, it is. And if if you were an anxious sort, you would be sort of anxious about filling that sort of thing but i'm i'm not thankfully yeah um, was, so, so, sorry paddy i wasn't trying to get at that sorry um so let's move off the connor topic altogether because because you're bringing a new look and feel to the role okay uh, and we can tell that straight away so for example um reviews i think years ago maybe 10 15 years ago maybe aa ireland kind of looked into reviews but it was never yeah, they something did, yeah. that was taken too seriously uh, or am I wrong? Like, did I just miss it? I, I just no, they it. did. I, it, it would have been it would have been your guest from two weeks ago. Um, Neil Briscoe used to do them for what for us? I think from Drive Magazine. I think they used to do them. But who for, was pushing them out? Um, it was in an AA magazine, if I remember. Um, back when magazines existed, nobody reads magazines back. Then. Well, this was two thousand. <laughs> I'd say this was two thousand and one or two, oh. maybe. Oh, okay. So it wasn't far off. Like we are talking 10, 15. Oh, no. Ago. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But, the, okay. but you know, this is my second stint at AA, right? No. So my first job was AA. I've gone full circle. I've so, actually got the question written here. What was your first car as a motor journal? And it was AA. I know what I know. Well, no, my, my, no I, I had left AA. My, I, my first job, pretty much out of college, well, I had gone to work in Ballsbridge Motors as a kid just straight out of college because I had an idea that I wanted to be a motoring journalist. My dad was a motoring journalist. He was the motoring editor of the Sunday Independent for, for decades. And um, I grew up around that. My earliest memory is being locked in a Porsche 911 Turbo. I remember the Reg 930XED. <laughs> it's a car that's still around in Dublin. Wow. And I remember being locked in that car accidentally or probably wasn't even locked in it, but I was... Was you know those moments people have where there's a hyper stimulus, so it's embedded in their brain. I was obviously freaking out that I was locked in a car, but I was locked in a in a 911 turbo. So it was like that combination of hyper stimulus and whoa, look at this car. And it's just sort of buried in my so brain. Cool, locked in this car. Yeah, exactly. It was buried buried in my brain. So yeah, that was where I, and I had grown up with him coming home, you know, like your kids are. It was I I'd come up with kids come with a him coming home every Monday afternoon um, from 1979 onwards with a new vehicle. And I would go out to the driveway or to the, to the street. We didn't have a driveway. And I would sit in as a kid and just poke around this car. And I, you know, my parent, my parents told me they're both gone now, but they used to tell me that I, as they'd be pushing me along in, in the pram, I would be naming the cars uh, by the wheels and this is you know probably the same as you but this was me as two you know that I, my first I, I could name cars from from the from that age that sort of age so um so yeah there was a bit of predestiny to that I would end up doing that sort of a, a job but but yeah I, I, so I'd, I'd gone to Baldridge Motors worked there for a while which was a, an eye-opening experience I, I decided that it would be good to work in the cold face to see how that side of the business works before I'd try and be a journalist. And then I went to AA Roadwatch, which was kind of 
looking for people and I applied and it was down to my brother who helped me. I had no business getting the job, but he made a, a demo tape for me. Um, so thank you, Michael, for that. Um, Michael, my brother, who is actually, small fact, the voice of Irish Rail. So if you get on the dart or if you get on the train. Yeah. So the next train for platform three is the 1247. That is my brother, Michael. Yeah. So there's today's there, small fact. <laughs> I've often wondered who it was. Yeah, yeah. I, you just knew the that. Irish bits, though, mind you. Yeah, so. I, 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 I'm guessing that the Irish bits, and it's a pure guess, and I must ask him next time I see him, I think it's Cormac O'Hara from RTE, um, he does the um, the, the, the the dry time show on RTE. Radio. Could be, yeah, but uh, yeah, no, he, so that, that's, yeah, so that's a side diversion, but Michael, my brother, made a, de made a demo tape, which was barely me, but it, it sounded a bit like me, and I got that job in AA, so I did, I did AA for about, didn't do it for too long. I did it for a year and a half and then joined what was the startup car buyer's guide, cbg.ie, um, which you have experience of. Yeah, um, yeah. And um, then from there, yeah, I eventually left there and, and went to Sunday Tribune as it was and then went went solo and did the Irish Times, etc. So, Okay, so so back to AA Ireland, right? So, so yeah. since since you've gone in, there, there's been plenty going on. So, and it's good, Paddy, to see you back with cars again. Um, and it's it's good to see you back on the on the, the proper side of motor journalism. Um, oh <laughs> now, Dara, like I'm kind of half a half because, uh, I, you know, while I'm I'm sort of helping people with their cars and showing what they do and what's available, I'm also uh, a spokesperson and also commentating and talking about different issues too. So I I see it as a sort of a weird hybrid now. I think. Okay, well, I'm just after writing down the number 163, and you'll know what that is in a minute when I ask you about it, right? Sure, yeah. No three. You know, yeah. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You do. I don't don't say it. Oh, no, you do. You do. Okay, okay, I do. You, you, you trust me, man, you do. You uh, okay. Do. Okay, um, but no, listen, you mentioned something to me last week, and I, hmm. I'm going to ask you about it. Maybe I'm under embargo, but fuck it, it's my show, so, you know, yeah, that's the yeah. way it goes. You are releasing a new podcast. Yeah, well, all things gone haven't gone well. Um, the podcast, a Ireland podcast, will have launched two days ago. Um, if we're on a Sunday now, so congratulations, um, good work. Yeah, thank you very much. By the way. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, the first guest will will be someone known to you, which would be Dave Humphries. Um, oh, awesome. yeah, Dave is on talking about EVs. We've released four at once to start us off, and then we will do two a month. Um, and. And yeah, look, it's it's I suppose it's a natural progression. This format is great. It's, it's you know it's why you why you do it. It's um it's a longer form chat about some of the topics that we skirt over when we're ever on media. So if we're ever on radio or whatever, we're talking about petrol prices or we're talking about road tax or we're talking about uh, road safety. We've decided to just make that longer form. So the second episode is, is a special on fuel prices, which is a big topic at the moment and one we're very busy chatting about. The third one um, six three, Paddy. One six ah, three. We'll now I have you. I have you. Right. Right. I think you can go northwards again because we're higher again. Um, but um, we are as as of today, we are at one seventy seven average petrol. for petrol and yeah. one sixty eight for 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 diesel. No, yep. it's now costing you, and I'll give you a nice little fact there. Sir, it's now costing the average motors 595 euro more per year to fill their car with petrol than they did, did, did two years ago. And that's for a very average car. Here's actually a question for you, right? And look, I, I actually apologized on the Michael Sheridan edition uh, <laughs> because I, I talk, uh, look, electric vehicles are in the news and yeah. stuff like that and once again i'm not claiming this to be a news show this actually as i keep texting everyone this is about the banter it's about the bands this uh, is a car chat questions right two a, lads a, in the pub having a, having a chat except we're not in a pub it's drive talking patty and by the way i wanted to introduce that as well like what, what i want to start doing is start bringing in like a glass of whiskey a tumbler of whiskey or whatever it is ah shit like you got the you should have told me man i, I haven't I opened it now mind you but I, I have a beer here and yeah before anyone gets upset i'm at home i'm not yeah. driving anywhere um yeah my, my work is done yeah <laughs> um but um sorry before i move on because i actually want to ask you a podcast question in a moment right um yeah right so I'm looking for an answer. Which battery did you get with the Enyaq? 80. So 80. 77 kilowatt hour. 
which is the equivalent on a great day average kilometers. What are we talking? 380? Yeah, um, I do. Yeah, I tend to get slightly north of 400 okay. on a full battery. But um, uh, motorway driving at 100? Yeah, I tend to drive at 100 because um, it does make quite a difference. Um, and but look, I, I don't get upset too much about using the aircon and everything else. You know, that's where charging points are for. Um, it, you know, you're, you're owning an electric vehicle, especially a nice one, shouldn't be hardship and you shouldn't be driving around with fogged up windows because you're trying to get another 50k. Oh, yeah. And, and, and look, I'm assuming when you park in AA Ireland, it being AA Ireland, there's actual charge points. Well, we have we do have a couple, yeah. Not the not nothing too fast yet, but but no, I like the beauty of it of, of, of a lot of those cars, you know, you charge at home. That the Enyaq is a, it has a decent range, you're not having to charge you know, okay. Day, so. so here's the question around it, right? Yeah. And and I need a definitive because I genuinely am contemplating an electric car at the moment. Okay. Right? Um because I heard I heard Neil's um you heard the show with Neil, because the MG you're looking at. Yeah, the MG5, I'll ask you that in a moment, right? Um, but, so I'm trying to do this maths here, right? Um, what does a full charge cost? Now, I've done the maths where I've taken the ESB rate uh, multiplied by the, um, the, side, the, 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 the the wattage of the battery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just, it's starting to not make sense to me because there's <laughs> times when I'm not seeing those savings. Uh, I suppose the saving is it because when I do the school run, which I have to do in the mornings to get back to work on time within the house, is it because I'm wasting diesel doing the bloody school run when I should be saving my, saving my diesel for the trip to Donegal? What is the cost of a charge? So let's say you're down to 20 kilometers left. If you've yeah. ever got that low in your car, what's it going oh, yeah. to cost you to put in 400 kilometers full charge? About five or six euro. At, at home at night rate electricity okay night rate so let's yeah, say like you're, if you're, you're not you're, like you're yeah if you're gonna you are still be less than a tenner that's phenomenal um and, and you know the, the, like if there's a scale of the cheapest to the most expensive to charge cheapest is always going to be at home on a night rate and then you're sort of then next one is at home i don't care when i charge it kind of price then you're on public slow chargers oh, um yeah. esb fast chargers and then ionity is the most expensive i use ionity all the time because i do cross the country quite a bit i go into Cork quite a bit and ionity is super efficient it's very fast and i know and it's seldom blocked up by gobshites okay. so um that's why i use it all. and then say uh, the enyaq and to fill that entirely is like 13 14 euro maybe sometimes a bit more i'd sell them empty empty so um okay. like i so i might drive to cork and back and spend like 30 quid that's really good okay so i'm going to ask you very quickly about the mg5 i'm actually saving it for home who confirmed his attendance with me today right because i uh, great, great. Him because right. because i'm i'm yeah i'm just i'm I have a lot of questions for home. I want to get around the Russian trip. By the way, Michael Sheridan spoke a lot about you last night. We'll cover that now in a moment. I know you haven't heard oh it yet because it's not live. <laughs> uh, yourself and Neil Briscoe specifically um, being champions of Ireland in Mazdas and stuff like that. Oh, God. Um, yeah. So any, anyway, I wanted to ask you a different question. Then we flip yep. back to that. So podcast related. What do you listen to at the moment? Non-car related. I love the Rich Roll podcast. Rich, Rich Roll. Roll. Rich Roll is a... Is a He's an interesting guy. I just started listening to him years ago. He's an ultra marathoner, vegan, but he's one of these. There, I read his book years ago. I, I like running a bit, I, and I read read his book years ago. He was a lawyer, alcoholic, you know, but like a really heavy duty corporate lawyer. Nearly had a heart attack one day and decided to change his life. Uh, took up running and went vegan, etc. That's by the way, he's a really good interviewer, and um, he just has has a really good look, good interesting style or good interviewing style, and gets really interesting guests on. I was listening to one on the way home this evening, um, by a, a guy Johan Hari, who's a, an author who's done a lot of work on depression, and he was he was having a conversation about attention and why we're all why our attention is all fucked basically, um, that we can't concentrate. And it's fascinating. I'll send you the link after this. But um, it, it, it's all about the fact that 
social media, all of those is, is ruining our ability to concentrate. And the, the myth that we can all multitask and have, you know, I'm sure your kids are the same as mine. They might have an iPad on, a phone on, an Xbox on. And the reality is, and it's been shown multiple times, that they aren't actually multitasking. They're just splitting their attention between different, you know, they're dividing their attention between it. He's a, he's a, he's an excellent podcast. Um, I, I like uh, I like the Guardian Football podcast. I love that. Um, if I, I the, for a bit of sport, um, and I, I like yeah that that's really it. Uh, ben Foster is another goalkeeper. I love his podcast. Um, he's the Watford goalkeeper who who does some excellent YouTube videos. So yeah, football and 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 a bit of pop psychology. I think is my the, my my flavors really. Do, do, do you know what I stumbled on by accident last week? Um, so I'm back to the office once a week, right? And I hopped on the bus. So I get the bus from Mountjoy Square here in Dublin out to Blackrock, yeah. right? And I'm there going through the charts going, one day I will be there. Somewhere. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Those top 200, they came across Seth Rogen's story time, right? Okay. And uh, I, I just I just needed a break from kind of news. I needed a break from I'll all that. i write that down, sorry. Oh, well, first off, his voice, we all know, like, you know, Seth Rowan yeah, is yeah, yeah, course, got yeah. that really good, deep voice and everything else like that. But he tells stories, so he'll take people. And I finished one today on the way home about a guy, a Canadian guy who climbed a mountain that was named after his father in Canada, right? And on his way down, he got attacked by a grizzly bear. And it's <laughs> the story of the struggle with the grizzly bear. A story of survival. But <laughs> like the art of storytelling is just not lost yeah, yeah, yeah. like so he's doing the interview with the guy but he pitched he, he, he you know he he stitched everything so well together i was thinking jesus this is how i must do the uh, podcast with paddy paddy common later on <laughs> it's like and then paddy told me about his days back in but he just brings but the you, story so well but together. you and i have previous in terms of podcasts as well i've been on your podcast before oh no sure do you remember the electric vehicle podcast where we actually made the yeah. charts paddy uh, we did but, make but and, and I did the Irish Times podcast when podcasts oh, yeah, yeah. weren't a thing. Yeah, and it was lovely. Actually, so I better remind you as to, to why Michael Sheridan was talking about you. So he, he, he reminded me that, uh, first off, they, we, we were talking about uh, trips that we'd done or that he'd done as a motor journalist, right? Yeah. And I'm going to ask you for one before you sign off, which by my reckoning, I've still got 18 minutes with you. So just stay in You can have all the time you want. No problem. So... Um, so Michael was talking about the, the, the as he described it, he goes, he reckons that between you, Neil, and him, you were the heaviest team, but you still won the Mazda Championship Cup, uh, or whatever they called it, representing Ireland as journalists. We, uh, we, we, we did it. We raced internationally for, uh, for Ireland against um, against a, a, a team, lots of ringers, as, as it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we Mazda did brilliant press events. Um, and we were um yeah, we were involved in a race series of Mazda. We did it twice actually, and um one was in Italy and the other one was in Finland. Um and um up in the Arctic Circle. But yeah, we talked uh, about that too. Um, yeah, and you had were, a Finnish driver with you as well, didn't you? Yeah, well, there was lots of Finnish drivers there, yeah. But they the um yeah, we were the heaviest team by quite a quite mm. a degree. Like I, I um I am a big enough lad. Um uh, and Michael is is as well. Neil is as well. We're 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 healthy Irish gentlemen, I'd say. Um, and you know we're not the typical kind of uh, race drivers. I'd say, yeah, I'd say our combined weight was quite hefty. But uh, but no, it was great fun. And and, and you know what? To as as you'd know, and as your guests will have known, or as your audience will know from the last two podcasts, the, in terms of company, you couldn't have better guys to spend time with. Neil and Michael are. A constant source of entertainment and um and, and you know brilliant company and, and it's great to see them still again uh you know back more often now from from my change of role yeah and and you you started a strange time as well because because of lockdowns and everything else none of them got to see each other so when you came back it was like yeah, yeah exactly it's like a, exactly there's paddy the journal again um oh, okay so so this isn't written down but i knew i was going to get here at some stage right um is there, you you did um you did a, a video series recently enough, and I saw the likes of Bob Flavin on and Dave Humphreys on a few others as well, where they described their favorite road. So I'm not going to ask you that question. Yeah. You've you've done that already. Is there any particular journey that stands out for you? So for example, once again, you you, you haven't heard it yet because it's not out while we're recording this. 
Mm-hmm. But Michael Sheridan spoke about uh, himself and Tony Toner, Route 66, and he gave yeah. the, the bike story as well as the Ford Mustang convoy that they did uh, back in 2015 or 2016. Is there any particular journey that kind of stands out for you over your years of test driving cars or e- even when you're with Volkswagen Group or even just aside from that, just a road journey, a journey that you took in the car and you went, this is the shit. Two, two spring out into spring to mind and, and both involve Michael McLear actually, who I had spent, you know, Michael McLear for anyone who is the Irish Times motoring editor. And Michael and I would have spent a lot of time driving together over the years. Um, one was in Dubai actually, where we were driving possibly the one of the least entertaining cars to drive ever built, the Volvo v, uh, C70. Do you remember the C70? I With love about, that car. No, lovely car, but it had about two tonne of roof yeah. uh, folding into the middle of its arse. And yeah. um, it handled, well, it just sort of vaguely handled. The steering wheel was connected <laughs> with marshmallows. It um, handled. <laughs> but, but we were in Dubai, Michael and I, on the launch of this thing. It was one of these things, you know, back in the day where they flew you halfway around the world for six minutes to drive a car but we were in Dubai driving this C70 and we were driving for god it felt like an hour and a half two hours on a completely straight road which gave us the impression that Volvo was entirely embarrassed by this thing so but then the road book turned up left and um the name escapes me Darry. you can put it in the notes later it's this is Jebel something road um, I might even Google it while I'm here. It's regarded as one of the best roads in the world, and it's in Dubai, and it, it goes up to a sheik's palace. Um, and I, I may have mispronounced sheik there, as it might be might be called something else. But um, it is astonishing, this road. It is like a racetrack. It is, and I presume by the tire tracks on it, that it's used at nighttime as a racetrack. I have never, ever experienced a road like this. Perfect cambers. Uh, you know tarmac you could play golf on and it just snakes around all the way up to this palace um so Volvo had method in their manners they dragged us out this all this way would i've preferred to been driving anything else than a lump of c70 yes of course but uh, but no not, it wasn't to be dude what what i wouldn't give to have that lump of c70 now though there, oh, what a, a car yeah there was a few years ago, look, at, at, at the time, in terms of, maybe you can agree with me here, uh, Volvo knew how to make a seat. Oh, right. still make, and the, the wider you get and the older you get, the more welcome those seats become. Yeah, and, 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 and they're great seats, right? Um, they're fantastic, which reminds me, I'm going to have to hop back to, to my MG5 question, which is about the seats specifically, but we get but to that in a second. The second one quickly, and I won't labor on it, was, was the Porsche. Cayman launch, the original Porsche Cayman launch, which was in Siena in Italy. And, and it, Italy being Italy, of course, obviously every police person allegedly had been told to disappear. So it was just um, just heaven. Like, what a car as well. Totally yeah. underrated car, the Cayman. And, um, you know, when you get into a state of flow, Dara, you know, where, you know, when you get into a rhythm with a car, yeah. where everything clicks, I got into, I was having one of those days where everything clicked and I was in a total rhythm with the car and um, it was one of the best drives I've ever had. So yeah, that, that, nice. those are the two that stick, stick out. Jebel Ali Road. That's exactly it. Okay, yeah. I, I'm, I'm actually looking at some of the you images be, from it here. Yeah, it's, it's not talked about much, but it's, it's, um, it's astonishing. Astonishing road. It must be an incredibly long road as well, is it? Like there's a stretch cross Dubai completely or like yeah you're driving well it's just you're driving a long time out of Dubai to get to it um yeah I'm obviously a you know a straight road which is dumb you know dumbfoundedly boring to drive but then you get to this amazing stretch okay so I'm gonna ask you right so back to MG5 sorry I go all over the place with this that's fine it's real world right so I was contemplating the electric vehicle, which is why uh-huh. I asked you about the Enyaq in the first place, right? Yeah. Uh, contemplating electric vehicle. It, it, this is like my quest to find out whether or not I should buy an MG5, which I, I'm thinking no at the moment. The seat. Why? Well, no. See, I really like the MG5. I really, really like the MG5. I did a video on that car and it's, 
I think it's one of the most underrated cars on sale currently. Well, because you, know, you see, it's rated really well, Paddy. Um, like, but there, there are still, I know there are still a few people who are a little bit snobby about it, um, but it's so practical. Like it, like, it looks a little bit like a car from 10 years ago. It, no, it looks a little bit like a... Like a Daisy yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that front, anyway. Yeah, or a Deu New Beera or something oh, like that. Wow. It, 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 it's a little bit like something from... A, but, I mean... It, you can see why taxi drivers love it. You can see why it's practical. It's got everything you could possibly need. The equipment levels are amazing. The range is very usable. Um, the seats are, yeah, I, I, I had no issues. I'm a big enough lad and I had no no qualms about them. I just think it's a really smart, educated choice of a thing to buy. So I, I know that two people who I've recommended to have actually gone in and buy it, bought it, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. And w- one of them arrived because apparently the waiting list is starting to grow on this. So one of them arrived so, the yeah. other day, uh, and I had a look at it, but I, I didn't get into it, right? Everything I'm reading about it is good. Now, the reason why I'm putting it off for the moment is because we're still not at that point where it makes financial sense for us. And unfortunately, it's not a green thing. It should be a green thing. It should be a case of, no, I want to save the earth, and get a car but i'm also weighing up where energy comes from uh was it well to wheel that theory yeah. going through my head and everything else like that as well but eventually i'm going to get an electric vehicle but we were contemplating the mg5 because of price and because of practicality and because of the fact that real world apparently you're talking 300 plus kilometers right but for some reason and thank you you you've given me your opinion on the seats now but for some reason the only negative i can find about the car is the driver's seat being too narrow now, I'm a big dude too, Paddy. Now, granted, you, you've got this big frame and you're a taller than me and everything else like that as well. I have a feeling I might be a little bit wider than you. And it's when you get little whippets who are reviewing the cars and you're looking at them, is it a case that they saw somebody else's review and turn around and say, well, that guy is complaining about the seat? But it's that three or a lot, four reviewers. Know. Yeah, I know that. It's, but three yeah. or four reviewers have come out and said, this is great and it handles quite well, surprisingly well, as in in the fact that I'm not going to give out about the way it drives, handles, etc. This seat, though, and that that's the only negative I keep hearing repeatedly. And I'm trying to figure out because that would kill me. I like comfort in the car. But I, I know I know from, you know, my old colleagues in, in Volkswagen Group as well. I knew people who hated the seats in the, in the, the Kodiak. Which made no sense to me, but I, I you know, it, it's um, I think it's horses for courses. People have very different backs and very different postures, and I certainly had no issues at all with the with the seat, and it didn't stick out as being any way uncomfortable. In fact, I found it fine. And um, I think the only way to resolve it is to go drive the thing, take it, and see. You know, it's it's that is what test drives are for. Um, but um, it's so outweighed by the other practical practical reasons for it. You know. I just think it's, I just think it stuck out to me as a really, really smart choice of a car. Now, granted, I don't know what residuals would be like, um, mm. but, you know. But Jesus, by all accounts, it looks like it's going to, it's going to save money or make money in the future, the way the secondhand market's going, uh-huh. kind of body, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, final question for you. Uh, so you're back, you're back and you've driven a shit ton of cars since you came back. Um, w- once again, your social media accounts will, will highlight that and, what, what you're seeing arrive on AA's website, et cetera, will highlight that, right? Any particular one vehicle, singular vehicle that stands out? So since, since you came back into the world of sitting in everyone else's car, is there anything yeah. that's actually standing out for you right now that makes you go, yeah, they're, they're onto something here? Well, as a brand, Hyundai, I think, um, you know, if you, if you, if it's, it's more so, Darrow, from where I left off, like if I, Excuse me. If, if you consider I kind of checked out in 2011, and, and went to Volkswagen Group when I left, uh, the la- one of the last Hyundai's I drove was the was the i40, which was the kind of Garda spec i40, which had just arrived and was was all right, but it was a little bit grim and lots of grey plastics. And yeah. I I got into a I got into a Tucson it was one of the first cars that I'd uh, drove. When I when I came back in this side and, and I just couldn't get over how good it was, yeah. Um, and then the obviously the Ionic Five I love I, I really love that car. I, you know, obviously the EV6 is getting all the headlines. I probably, you know, and they're very similar. But if it was me picking, I'd probably have the Ionic 
just as I like, I like the quirky kind of eighties looks. They're you know they're almost indistinguishable in terms of ability. But um, Hyundai has really surprised me. Obviously, Kia is so is closely similar to that. But coming from where it was, like you're just like, whoa, they are really knocking it out of the park um, on everything they do. And and the Irish public are responding that to that because the Tucson has been number one and and the brand is flying as well. So that would that would stick out, and then I suppose if I'm allowed a second, is is was is a, is the Toyota Yaris? Oh car. yeah, oh yeah, what uh, a car! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, yeah. Sure. Did it did it win small car of the year? No, it didn't. Did it's your it? it's current European car of the year. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I haven't. I have, obviously I haven't driven it yet. I I can only this way. Actually, I was saying this to Michael Sheridan the other night. This way, I actually enjoy doing this podcast at the moment. I'm able to ask you guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, whereas Michael made a great point the other night, uh, which was, uh, you know, Dara, it's like, if I was still a motor journalist, then I'd be bullshitting with my interviews with you because I'd already know the answer or whatever it is. So it's great to hear other people's opinions on it. Um, but so you've kind of lead, led me to ask you two more really brief questions. Then you honestly... I'm in no time for, hurry. So you ask all you want. Okay, so question number one, Irish Car of the Year happened the other night. Are you going to become a voting member? Nope. I'd ask that. Okay. Question number two, right? So that leads on to. I had a feeling you'd say no. Question number two: Will there be an AA cop cars of the year? Uh huh. Yes. Oh, awesome! When's that going to start? Um, End of the year, middle of the year. We're looking. We're looking provisionally towards the third quarter. Of, uh, or sorry, the third quarter of this year. Okay. Uh, I I look forward to it, Paddy. And and what 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 about? I, I know we slagged off print a little bit earlier on, but is there anything coming in print that we're going to find in our local bank or in our local shop or anything like that? No. Um. We obviously the 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 podcast is our is our latest piece of work. We're we're, we're working on on getting YouTube a little bit better. That we will have a new AA website coming in probably March April. So just entirely rebuild of the AA website. So obviously, you know, the core of our business is insurance and breakdown, but it will be um, like those those journeys in buying your insurance, et cetera, will, will become an awful lot easier. Um, you know, there's always new insurance companies added to the panel. Obviously, A is a broker, it's, it's an intermediary. Um, but we will also um, have a lot more editorial. We'll have a lot more in terms of reviews, news. Really, the aim there is to be almost kind of like a one-stop shop in that um the brand and and this is you know it's my predecessors who've laid the foundations the brand is is a trusted brand in ireland as it is in the uk and other places so it's really just to to uh, you know and and obviously if we're looking at any kind of awards or the like it's it's really just to be almost agnostic in some ways and um to just really give our customers and the wider public a broad sense of what is the direction to go, be it in terms of new cars to buy, used cars to buy, uh, and also helping them with newer technology, EVs, um, but also flying the flag and pushing the agenda about things like fuel prices, tax, etc., which we still are doing. You know, that's the day to day for us is still highlighting, like, because the fuel prices issue at the moment is a, is a, is a, you know it's a real challenge for people. It's like we're heading, we're stumbling towards two euros a liter on fuel. It, yeah, is that going to happen, Paddy? Do you think um, we're not far away? I mean, I there I do the I do the fuel survey and the prices, and you know, I I've saw I saw one eighty six the other day for a premium product. Um, and the thing is as well with the at the pet a lot of the petrol stations they're they're all side by side, so people are you know as we know distracted and are in a hurry or fed up or had a row with their other half or whatever, and they just get and they pick up the pump and they put it in. And I haven't necessarily looked at it, and the difference can be ten cents a liter. So, yeah. um, and so, oil is at the time of recording of this ninety four dollars a barrel. Um, it's been the the market's a little bit jumpy because of Ukraine, Russia. We could see, you know, it's not beyond the rounds of possibility of a hundred dollars a barrel quickly enough. Uh, we know that every year in Ireland the tax that the carbon tax is going up, which because that's been set in stone. They said, right, every year until 2030, it's going up. And that will add another four or five cents a litre per year, regardless of what else happens. So, um, if you know, we know that that's 
by default is going up. So, and at the moment, oil production isn't where it should be. The OPEC countries aren't killing themselves to get it to get the oil production up because they got their fingers burnt so badly during COVID. And uh, yeah, we, you know, and that's the thing. And that's, you know, there, that's what we're saying as, as the AAA. Where is the line in the sand? Where is the point where people will say enough is enough? And I think, is that the psychological two euro oh, oh, line? Stop. Like, yeah, no, I'm not even going back to the, oh, I can remember when it was X, Y, and Z. Like it, it's it's a case like my biggest fear is so let's say we all go down the route that the Green Party wants us to take or the government say they want us to take in terms of going down electric vehicle route. So we've got the question of I mentioned earlier on well to wheel that whole theory of well actually what energy is being burnt or created or used to actually create that, that power that goes into your vehicle, etc. But aside from that as well, though, with the way energy prices are going, why I asked earlier on how much it would cost me to, and, and you really comforted me with that answer, actually, to kind of to top up, it's reasonable, it's good. 400 kilometers is a reasonable price that you'll end up paying for it. But by the time the nation gets around to actually switching fully over to electric vehicles, I think it's just going to be as expensive as it is driving a frigging petrol or diesel. Well, no, I, I don't. I think there is going to be, like, uh, well, first things first. At some stage, the government are going to have to start taxing us for driving EVs, yeah. and that that will happen. But if you look at it at the moment, so as, as it stands today, if we're paying one seventy seven per liter for an average person. Now, lots of averages here: fifty liter tank, uh, standard enough petrol engine, doing what the established average is of seventeen thousand kilometers per year. That is costing you two thousand one hundred and forty nine euro in petrol at the moment. If it goes to two hundred, if it goes to two uh, two euros a liter, that will cost you two thousand four hundred and twenty eight. Oh, yeah, Paddy, it's real fucking cheerful talking to you this evening. No, but it's, 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 it, but it's, it's where, Dara, where is enough? When is enough enough? And that's the yeah. question that um, we, we, we've been asking and we've been sort of highlighting in the media because it's not, you know, it, it's not you or I who are being affected by this. Like, it's a pain in the ass, and it's, it's a, but it's not you and I. It's those people who can't afford to get around and who, and who electric vehicle is, is a pie in the sky that are being so- affected. What, what, what really bugs me is, right, and I suppose it's the way tax constantly, it's, it's uh, Irish tax put on fuel. Now, it's, look, we're not unique. Look at UK prices and all the rest as well. They're quite high. And we, we are, what, among the highest in yeah. terms of extra tax. So I think I saw your video 60, earlier on Facebook. Close to 65% at the moment. But aren't, aren't we the sixth? Seventh. 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 Okay, seventh. all right. So we're really expensive. That's, that's fine. But look, every country does throw tax onto it. So I'm not, I'm not even trying to defend that. What bugs me the most is, so we're at $94, I think you said, per barrel at the moment. Mm-hmm. See when, in a few months' time, if that goes back to $50 a barrel, we're not going to see a near 50% decrease in the price of the fuel that we're buying. And that, that kills yeah. me the most. That kills me. But, but we were at $1.22 cents per litre, so €1.22 in the middle of COVID. But no one, yeah. no one was buying any fuel and no one noticed i fucking was i was uh, like we go up to donegal when, when we were allowed to go beyond the two kilometers yeah. five kilometer whatever it was we'd go up to donegal which is it's the only reason why i have a diesel is wexford and donegal right and we'd go up to donegal and i can remember coming home during covid when less people were on the roads nobody was allowed to go to the office etc cetera, etc cetera. and i can remember coming home one day going isn't it marvelous i can fill the tank and not feel like i've just been mugged even though we were still being mugged at 122 or 117 or one oh whatever it was. Yeah, right? it, it was, was 170, it was 122 for diesel two years ago. And, and you know, you have a Scovacy Power what, 50 liter tank. So you're paying f- 60 quid for a tank? Yeah. You're now paying uh, 83. Uh, you know, and the diff- and the other thing is, and this is it's another point, and I'm sorry if we're running out of time, but it's it's the other point is that. Re, there's an assumption that the retailers, you know, the average forecourt person is happy with this. They're not because they get nothing. Well, it's if you what happens is most Irish people when they go into a petrol station, what do they do? They buy twenty That's euro. No, yeah, well that as well. But they buy twenty <laughs> euro of, of petrol or fifty euro of diesel. That person buying fifty euro of diesel now is buying less fuel, and the retailer obviously makes less money on that. 
Yeah. And so it's not in their interests as the retailers. Now, the oil companies is another argument, you know, BP recording record profits, et cetera. But the, uh, what is within the control at the moment of the Irish government and for their people is the tax. And that's something that, you know, we know the petrol and diesel cars will be, you know, they want to yeah. get rid of those by 2030 and all that. But between now and then, we don't have a perfect transport or public transport system. But, but, but Paddy, look, I'm not trying to do the, I, I, I'm not actually arguing for the sake of argument. I am going yeah. to come in with devil's advocate. Right. Sure. And, the, and by, by the way, like I'm fucking, I'm devastated by the price that we have to pay for this. Right. So, yeah. But I, I am open enough, as I know you are, to think about the devil's advocate. Let's pretend the price was 150. Right. You yeah. said it earlier on, and you were correct and right, which is the carbon tax means from here on out, there will be a certain percentage yeah. increase Increased every in the carbon tax every year. And that's the way it goes. And the goal of the current government is to effectively phase out eventually, whatever it is, 2030, 2040, 2050, phase out ICE vehicles, right? And yeah. everything becomes electric um, and hopefully things will improve there. We'll have more wind energy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of that happening. Thing is, right, so, so the government, uh, and I, I know um, our Taoiseach was talking about it there recently enough, which was, you know, uh, we, we will have to look at, uh, I suppose, taxes around energy. And he didn't mention the carbon tax, but he was talking taxes in, in general on it, right? However, this is kind of the ideal scenario for them if they're trying to make fuel so expensive that we no longer want to buy it. So I suppose my question is, are your arguments going to fall on deaf ears when you're going approaching the government, and, and I know, well, and I think, I, I think the, the short answer is yes. Pen saying, Tom O'Neill, we're going to vote you in or out or whatever the hell it is. But like, I just fear it's going to fall in their fears because this the is what they want. The co- there's a couple of things there. Yes, it, it, insofar as they, the difficulty with the government at, for now, and I think that's something they know this issue is causing difficulty. You, you know, we talk to people online on social media. I, I was talking to a lady the other day who, travels from RD in North County Loud to Dublin city centre for work. If she, if she was to take a bus, it would take her hours. She drives, she spends 500 quid a month on petrol oh, because her car is old and she's older and she can't afford to buy a newer one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, she can't get a loan. She can't just walk in and buy a, a get a PCP for an ID four because is it a good old car? Like, tell me, it's a classic or something like that. But no, 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 but that's, quid a month. But, but think and do the maths. Like, that's 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 what you're looking at for. If her round trip is what yeah. seven seven oh, RD be about seventy each way, one hundred yeah, forty seven forty cents by five. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you know, four times a week or four times a month. So, so like for her, that reality is, you know, that where there's a twenty percent reduction in public transport. Great, but you know, even for me, where I live in Drada, if I want to get to Sandyford Industrial Estate, for example, by public transport, it's going to take me, God knows how long. Oh God! It, it, not just that; it's going to take, take you about six or seven different options to actually it's get the out modes of transport. Of exactly. Christ. Whereas I know that if I jump into the car, yeah, uh, that I can be there in 50, 55 minutes, whatever. So, so I think the argument is is that um, people don't want to sit in traffic like Egypt's. You know, they might want to listen to this wonderful podcast, but they don't want to sit in traffic as a choice. If there's another choice that's comfy and safe. You know that you're not going to get stabbed on, or you know, witness antisocial behaviour, or have someone cough and sneeze all over you. Then they'll take it. And but at the moment, people are, are a little bit hesitant about public transport for a variety of reasons. We know that. We know that from our surveys that people are a little bit not sure about going back on public transport, and that there just isn't the variety, especially outside of Dublin. If you live in Thurles or Carlow or Sligo or Leitrim. Have you got a variety of public transport options? Oh no, here, man. This is this is like this is old school Ireland, though. This like this is just the way it's always been, always will be. It's it's why people outside of Kerry look at the likes of the Healy Rays and go, "Oh, what are those spouting on?" Well, actually, what they're spouting on is trying to do well for their community, probably for themselves as well. But look, this is 
if you're not living in a major city in Ireland, not that we have any major, major cities <laughs> exactly. at all, but if you're not living in a city in Ireland, then you're going to suffer in terms of public transport. However, there are other ways of looking at it, which is for that lady in RD, for example, ride sharing is an option. And when you have big companies like Ford, Toyota, et cetera, looking at, for, looking at options for ride sharing, I, I think that is something we're going to have to look at in terms of um, oh, yeah. Look, the, the economy, et cetera, going forward anyway. We know that the you know the obviously the days of people in their cars on their own it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um. You know, and we yes we are a motoring organization, but at the same time, we, there's a variety of transport options that will make sense. And and but at the moment they're not being exploited, and the spread of them is not even across the country. Okay. Now, Paddy. Uh. So I am going to sign off now. What I am going to do though is right. So. I've got this fantastic list of, of people that I'm trying to get around to now over the coming weeks uh, while I do this. Um, but I, I, I'm saying it to everyone, hopefully a few months' time, if you're willing to spend another hour, we'll shoot a course. Of course, anytime, anytime. Um, and uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. I want you to hold on the line while I sign off here. Folks, I mentioned there in the last podcast, we want to arise in the top 200 at some stage. So of the four of you, actually, it should be eight by this stage that are listening to us. If you could double it, tell your friends, click the follow button, give the show a like, do whatever you want. Don't forget Paddy Commons uh, AA podcast is starting two days ago. It was awesome. Uh, tune in, have a listen into that. He'll be talking to Dave Humphreys, who'll be joining us over the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, so we'll see you at the next podcast. Paddy, stay in the line there for one second while I press stop.